Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> just to backtrack a little bit, do you sometimes have to have sex seven times a night at work? <laughs> um, sometimes, Yes. I would imagine, unless someone has asked for it specifically, the idea of combining humiliation and um, arousal would be horrifying. Physically, having sex is quite effortful. It is a job. It's, it can just be work for some people, and it stays at work. Like there aren't very many other jobs where people would say that if you're really, really good at your job, you should limit your clientele and make less money than your like, maximum capacity. It just seems a little bit odd. You know, they want to have fun and they want to feel as though what they're getting is a fun, enthusiastic time. Um, like that would actually be, to be honest, that would actually be a really good night because I'd be leaving with like a fairly good stack of cash. I'm Megan Easterbrook-Smith, I'm 26 years old and at the moment I'm studying towards a PhD in media studies. I'm also a sex worker and I have been for the last five years. The bulk of my work these days is full service sex work, so what people might also know as escorting or what's sometimes called prostitution, but a lot of sex work groups and activists, so not all, prefer not to use that term anymore. I also do some fetish and pro-dom work, so what people might understand as BDSM or being a dominatrix. I find it really interesting, although it can be quite intellectually and emotionally demanding and draining, so I don't do as much of it. And in the past I've also done central massage or um, I'm not sure if you can put this on radio, but it's often called rub and tug. So at the moment, most of what I do is a split between working in parlours, usually travelling to work in a parlour outside of Wellington, and then some independent uh, work in Wellington where I'm managing my own phones, that kind of thing. You're listening to the very first episode of Fathom, a show about the distance and the difference between us. Each story is different, but every story will take you away from your life, deep into the life of someone else. When you resurface, what has changed? For some of us, the moral distance between our own perspectives and the way other people view the world can be hard to leap across. This story challenges those of us who can't separate sex and love, and those people who believe it's not possible or ethical to maintain more than one healthy, respectful, intimate relationship at a time. Putting the story together made me question the meaning of commitment and how so many people, myself included until recently, have lumped monogamy and marriage together without thinking any deeper. I'm Nick Javi waldrum 
and this is Fathom. Sex, work, love, marriage. I guess for me, I've never really felt particularly into the concept of having a single partner anyway. I started doing sex work when I was 22. When I was in my early 20s, I was in the very fortunate position of buying a house with my parents. But shortly after we bought it, it was declared earthquake prone with all of the associated costs that come with that. I just didn't really have the uh, like financial capability to cover all of those costs in addition to the mortgage on the job I was currently doing. So at the time I was working full-time and also studying full-time. So I kind of looked at my options, realised that I needed a second job and most of the things that would have been available to me outside of the hours of my uh, day job that would also, while also keeping in mind that I was studying, would have been things like bar work, which is fine, but a lot of hours for not a lot of money. Uh, So I started looking into the sex industry um, and sex work I feel like other people who needed to make some extra cash might not immediately consider sex work. Did you have connections in the industry already or was it something you'd been interested in in the past? Um, I knew sort of through friends of friends of a couple of people who'd worked, so it wasn't completely foreign to me. In 2003, New Zealand became the first country to decriminalise sex work. It's not illegal here to work as a sex worker or to pay for sex. Before I met Megan, I'd heard a few stories from New Zealand and from overseas about desperate, damaged women selling their bodies to pay for study, to repay huge debts or to support a drug habit. While Megan started sex work for financial reasons, that's not the only thing that's kept her in the business. She made an informed choice about sex work as a career, And her interest in professional sex has since influenced her academic work. Her PhD considers the portrayal of sex workers in the media. In an abstract sense, I know what it means to have sex for money. But having never visited a sex worker myself, I was interested in the specifics of going to work, having your sexual services employed, and getting straight into what some people consider the most vulnerable deeply personal type of physical connection. If you're working for a parlour or an agency, most of them will have a standard expectation of what's provided in the advertised service. So in most parlours that will be blowjob, penetrative sex and a massage. Normally when I'm talking to clients in the lounge, I'll run through what I do and anything that I charge extra for. So that might be things like kissing or them going down on me, um, that kind of thing. So typically what happens is before a booking, you will have had at least a brief conversation about what you're going to do, what you will do if they pay you more money, what you won't do, which I think is really good because it means that you're going into a sexual encounter with a very clear-cut idea of exactly what's going to happen, what's not going to happen, and how long it's going to occur for. I can remember my first client, actually. He had a reputation for liking to see the new workers at the agency that I started at, and... He was white, probably in his like mid-40s, um, 
wasn't actually interested in having sex with very much of the booking, so mostly just chatted and drank wine with him. I was unbelievably nervous before my first booking, but then it all went fine, and I left and went and deposited the money into my bank account, and off I went to my day shift at my other job. Yeah. What kinds of people come to you? I would say that almost exclusively my clients have been cisgendered men. Occasionally you'll get an inquiry from a couple, but it's quite rare. I don't think that you can kind of make any like safe generalisation about who comes to see sex workers. It really is a, an enormous breadth of the community. A lot of people make assumptions about the only people who come to sex workers are men cheating on their wives who are like businessmen and have lots of money. And I guess I'm wondering, yeah. is that true? Um, no, that's, I mean, there are certainly men who fit that description who do come to see sex workers, but there are also people who maybe are in their 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s and don't have a partner or their partner's passed away, and what they're looking for really is just some contact and some intimacy. Or you might have younger guys in their early 20s who are quite shy and inexperienced and going to see a sex worker is one of the easiest ways for them to get some intimacy or to sort of build up some confidence or another group I'd say who are kind of represented quite strongly. Quite a lot of younger international students who find it really hard to go on dates in New Zealand because unfortunately a lot of the people who they'd be interested in dating rule them out because of their race. I suppose some of the things that I really like about sex work, uh, it gives me a lot of freedom to arrange my schedule in a way that works around the rest of my life. It gives me a very strong sense of self-reliance because ultimately the person that I rely on most at work is me and I feel confident in my ability to work and provide for myself in a whole host of different working environments. I also really like the the people that it's allowed me to meet and the perspectives that I've heard. I've met a lot of people who I probably wouldn't have come across otherwise. Uh, And also, obviously, it's given me the opportunity to write the thesis that I'm writing, basically. I don't think I'd be writing this had I not started sex work, and I don't think what I'm writing would be as good had I not started sex work. Megan's thesis looks at post-decriminalisation, media constructions of sex workers, and the way high-volume and low-volume sex work is viewed. Like why some people see being an escort who might sleep with one client per shift after hanging onto their arm in a slinky dress at dinner as more acceptable than working in a parlour, where a sex worker might see no clients or up to eight or more clients in a shift. As Megan noted during our interviews... There aren't many trades where having a high number of paying, satisfied clients is viewed negatively. In terms of the things that I don't like about it, sometimes it can be really, really rough on your body. So long hours, it's a physically very rigorous job. Also, sometimes I think the feast or famine nature of the earnings 
can take a bit of getting used to. You've got to be quite disciplined in terms of your finances. Um, I don't know whether it's because you don't feel comfortable talking about it, but you don't talk much about the actual physical aspects of your work. Like when I, I'm interested to know if there's anything you don't enjoy about having sex with strangers. Um, I mean, there is. Mostly it's just to do with people not paying a lot of attention to how their body relates to your body. So it'll be things like putting all their weight on my hips and doggy or trying to push my leg back over my head or just kind of like trying to move me into different positions by yanking my arms rather than asking. Uh, Really obnoxious like rubbing their stubble on my face. Like there are absolutely physical aspects of the job which can get quite draining and definitely contribute to how taxing it is. How do you manage those? Um, that's definitely one of the, like, challenges of the job, is finding ways to tell someone that they're about to snap femur in half while still making them feel like they're a sexy, desirable person. Um. (laughs) So often you'll kind of go with a little bit of, like, humour or just kind of, like, moderate your tone of voice when you're asking someone to do something. Something else that can be challenging about her line of work is people asking Megan questions like... How can you possibly come home and have a different interaction with your partner after having had sex all day at work? You'll see that people never question if childcare workers can still have a good relationship with their children despite interacting with kids all day at work. Like, no one considers that that's like a finite resource and if you use up all of your parental or maternal energy at work, then clearly you must be a neglectful mother or father at home because people understand that doesn't preclude you being then able to have relationships that might look similar on the surface physically but are actually very different in your personal life. And is it good, the sex at work? I don't think that for a lot of people the sex that they have at work is often or ever the same or induces the same kind of light responses as sex outside of work might, yeah. That sounds to me like it wouldn't be enjoyable at all, but is it, how is it? Um, sometimes sometimes it can be fun, sometimes it can be enjoyable, um, sometimes it can be just a little bit boring or tedious. I'd say kind of in terms of like physical sensation wise, if your brain kind of isn't passing it as being something that's like sexy or sex, despite what you might actually physically be doing, it's probably like getting a kind of mediocre massage. Like you can feel someone's kind of prodding it a bit in your shoulder and it doesn't feel bad exactly, but you're also not super into it, but you can sit here and kind of just just mull over your shopping list in your head. I had decided that I needed to tell my parents just because it was becoming kind of... It didn't feel particularly good to be kind of obscuring exactly what I was doing. And I was also getting to the point where my name was likely to be on some articles or conference papers in relation to what I've been doing. And it seemed prudent to let them know and give them some time to kind of sit with the information before it became a bit more public. I was sort of planning to wait until all of our food arrived and then kind of like just drop it on them. Um, But instead, as soon as the waitress brought over our menus, dad kind of looked over and said, oh, so how's work been going? Um, So I just kind of launched into this like five minute long monologue while my parents stared really, really, really intently at their menus. And then I paused. I sort of said, dad, was there 
any anything you'd like to like to ask? Dad kind of looked up and said, well, I think I'm having the breakfast burger. <laughs> Which <laughs> was not the worst reaction. Um, and they, to their credit, have been really good about it. They had some questions initially, of course, mostly about my safety, that kind of thing. But they understand my reasons for going into the industry. Um, they're very supportive of my thesis topic. And in general, I think that they trust me to make decisions, having considered them and thought them through. And they trust that my reasons for doing this, for being open about this, are ones that I've given some thought to. Other people finding out about her profession hasn't always gone the way Megan would like. An acquaintance kind of just outed her to me at a random party when we were hanging out together. This is Bernie, Megan's fiancé. I mean, I half knew. You can kind of put two and two together without specifically being told these things. Regardless of whatever, I didn't have a problem with it anyway, so it didn't really matter. How long had you been seeing each other? Probably only weeks, really. These weeks, when Megan and Bernie first started seeing each other and he learned about her profession, were a few years ago now. And their relationship has evolved and strengthened a lot since then. Were you planning to propose on my birthday? Uh, I think I was planning to propose when I got back. Or at least a bit later and plan something more sort of (laughs) celebratory. And then I just kind of decided that I couldn't take the ring away with me because I was away for almost a week and I couldn't leave it in the house because what if you found it so (laughs) so I sort of just was like well I might as well just do it do it now so I did and it was actually way better because then I could stop thinking about it and getting worried (laughs) where were you (laughs) I just just at home on the balcony I think yeah yeah it was it was very sweet and I think it was I definitely preferred that than I didn't do anything like a more kind of like proposal over dinner or anything like that. So we will have been together for four years on the day we get married. We're getting married on our anniversary just to make things easy for future anniversaries, yep. <laughs> Technically we met online on the um, dating website, but um, we sort of had seen each other around a bit and... <laughs> We started chatting and we went on a date and that was pretty much it. We just got along really well. Bernie says he doesn't see Megan's sex work as any kind of threat to their relationship. My job as a um, freelance audio engineer actually resembles the same sort of workflow and patterns as Megan's often. You work crazy hours but then you get Monday or any day random day you might get off um sometimes you have no work at all you have to deal with a whole bunch of people you barely know um you're dealing with high pressure situations it's a service role there's a lot of crossover and the workflow is similar and it's just yeah yeah i know but the, the one piece of crossover that many people won't be able to understand like audio engineering doesn't involve physical intimacy with strangers <laughs> and I think that when people are saying how do how do we, how do relationships work in that context that's the kicker one reason Bernie isn't bothered by Megan's work is their shared belief that having sex with someone doesn't need to affect your relationships with anyone else this perspective applies to Megan's sex work and to the way their relationship soon to be their marriage operates in general as well as 
dating each other, we're also both dating other people, which is something that we've had since we started dating. So we didn't kind of introduce it later on. It was something that was there from the get-go, which I think is really good. It's quite hard for um, Megan to be in a closed relationship when she is a sex worker, depending on how, I mean, it's work and it's, you can actually, you can argue that it's not emotional bonding, even though it's physical bonding. That's still, like, some people consider that open or completely immoral. (laughs) They call their relationship open. Bernie and Megan's relationship is different to the relationships they have with other partners because they live together and are about to commit to being together for the rest of their lives. They've decided to accept they each cannot satisfy all of the other's desires, whether these are emotional, physical, intellectual, or something else. And they've agreed seeing other people doesn't change how they feel about each other. At different points in time, we've had... Sometimes one of us has had another partner or another couple of partners and the other hasn't. At the moment, we're both dating a few other people, and obviously... Everyone else that we're dating is aware of the whole situation because kind of being very upfront and honest about that is really important. Having intimate relationships where a person may have more than one partner, with the knowledge and consent of all partners, is sometimes called polyamory. But this label doesn't sit well with Bernie and Megan. It can come with assumptions of partner hierarchy. And they prefer not to define things so specifically. I mean, open and poly almost means exactly the same thing but it's just you know different wording and you know polyamory is is kind of a bit of a buzzword at the moment it's a bit trendy and you've got like people starting groups about it on facebook and they're all very cheesy so it's very like that pretend world like oh so you're going to have multiple relationships and everything is going to be great and you're only going to see the heavy bit of that and it works out just fine and and i think by just saying you're open, it leaves a lot more fluidity in things. There's no really hard and fast rules is what you can and can't do. It's interesting that Bernie mentioned only seeing the happy part of polyamory. Because when he and Megan discussed their open relationship, there were no downsides I could see. I wonder if this is because people in open relationships have already communicated about some of the things monogamous couples tend to disagree over. Like time management, codependency jealousy, and libido. I think embarking on an open relationship requires an incredible amount of self-awareness and discussion about the potential ways things could go pear-shaped. Communication is like the biggest word, and I think that's where most people who try poly relationships or even any relationships kind of fail, (laughs) is when they stop talking. And, um, yeah, Yeah. we talk a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and I think um, if you're thinking about something that is making you feel jealous once you actually talk it out and figure out what it is it often ceases to be a problem because you've identified it yeah i think the jealousy one is interesting because that's what people always say they're always thinking oh you must get jealous don't you get jealous of your partner it's like why would i get jealous of my partner being happy it doesn't make any sense exactly (laughs) mainly it's just um, a lack of satisfaction in some way so being in an open relationship at least you can do something about that (laughs) Megan and Bernie have similar reasons for preferring an open relationship. That I get to have these incredibly intimate, lovely connections with multiple people. I've never really felt particularly into having the concept of having a single partner anyway. And that you don't have to feel, or I don't have to feel, guilty for 
desiring or crushing on other people. You can't be all things to one person. It's, um, to say that is crazy. Different partners who I get different things from and have really different conversations with and have very different dynamics with. I think different people have sexual or just non-sexual relationships for different reasons. So for you to say that one person can fulfill all of those different needs and wants is that's quite demanding. It's really nice and works really well for us, I think. I think it gives you a different perspective, yes. Why do you think everybody isn't doing this? Um, historical gender issues. Um, so it's a fairly strong way. Like, could blame of. the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely like a fairly kind of strong social inclination to view relationships as two people. In fact, we kind of came up against this when we were talking to our celebrant a couple of weeks ago. And part of like the kind of traditional bit of the vows is that you promise to take the other person to the exclusion of all others. And I was like, well, that one's right out then. So I'm just wondering, what is commitment in the context of an open relationship? Your committing to working to make your relationship good and to make it better and to care for and look after and love the person that you're marrying. Yeah. And like a very public commitment that this is important to you and that this is a thing that you're going to continue to work at and value. It's kind of like a statement of intent, really, in many ways. It's just saying this is actually a thing that's going to keep happening forever and it's great. So you're still committed to each other, just as just as anyone would be committed to their partner. Totally. Exactly. Without the bit about her, what you're not allowed to do with other people. Yes. And uh, in a lot of ways, I think it's almost like being more committed is to say, I give you that freedom to do whatever you want. And as long as you're not hurting anyone, then I'm perfectly okay with that and I trust you. Yeah. So Megan and Bernie have a relationship that is unconventional, but it suits them. If you're thinking it sounds impossible or weird or hard to understand, Megan and Bernie know how you feel because they feel similarly about monogamy. For them, an open relationship is the best way to maintain a satisfying long-term commitment. And Megan has sex for money because she chooses to. If she chooses to give up sex work, their relationship will continue to be open because that's how they like it. I asked Megan about the link between her sex work and having an open relationship. I mean, the most obvious link between those two would be that both kind of require you to understand that having sex with someone isn't necessarily or implicitly a commitment to a particular kind of relationship with them, and that you can have sex with many other people without it impacting on your relationship with one person in particular. So obviously the sex that I'm having at work is very different to what I'm having in my personal life, but I think common across all of those is the fact that who I have sex with doesn't change my feelings for Bernie. This episode features music by Langsaw and Finch Verko. Thank you to Gwen Easterbrook-Smith, Duncan Smith, Lisa Cantrell and Laura Featherstonhor for their help with this story. And thank you for listening to Fathom.
the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.